think deep inside each of us is this uh, longing for just acceptance. Uh, we want to we be part of something where our hearts kind of resonate with, with others. And so, sometimes we're, we're a little afraid to, to step into something for fear that we, we might be rejected, no matter how, how silly the situation might be. Uh, when Lan and I lived in Denver, Colorado, I was working as the uh, worship director for a small little church plant, and uh, the church could only pay me just a small little part-time salary, and, and I was working some other jobs, and we're, we were just trying to make ends meet, and uh, we, we were just, honestly, we were below the poverty line. Uh, we, we were really poor, and so when a friend said, hey, I've got season tickets to the Colorado Avalanche, and I can't use this one particular night— would you like to take your wife? I jumped at the chance because to get to go on a date was just non-existent. We couldn't even afford babysitters. And so this opportunity came up and like, okay, yes, we, we will take it. And he handed me the tickets and each ticket was $46. And this is back in, I think like 2000, 2001. And so $46 tickets for each of them, just, it seems so incredibly expensive and valuable. And so I thought, this is going to be awesome. Like, we're going to be right down there, you know, at the glass, and this is, this is going to be fantastic. And then I started having this fear that people are going to realize, like, I don't know anything about hockey. I mean, I, I knew a little bit. I'd, I'd been to a couple of minor league games in Topeka, Kansas, but, I mean, that was it. And I didn't own any avalanche gear. And so I thought Leanne and I are going to show up, and people are going to kind of look at us like, who are you? You know, because we've got someone else's tickets, and yet we're pretending to be Colorado Avalanche fans. And, and so it, it was so silly. But there, honestly, I, there was a part of me that thought, like, we're, we're going to get rejected. So we make our way to the brand new Pepsi Center. We get in there, and I'm expecting to, you know, like, make our way down. And instead, we start looking, and we realize, oh, we, we've got to go up. So we start climbing and climbing and climbing. I, I felt like we almost reached the top of Pike's Peak and we finally find our seats, and we sit down, and there's these little insects down on what I assumed was ice. And I, I think those were the players warming up. I mean, they were so far away. And all I could think in my head was, these are $46 seats? How much did those cost down there? You know, like, it seemed so outrageous. And then everyone around us just completely ignored us. I mean, they're drinking their $12 beers and their $10 hot dogs. And I think Leanne snuck in a water bottle. You know, that's just where we were at in life. And so we're getting ready for the game, and I'm, I'm trying to explain to her the few rules I actually know about hockey, and I, I knew just a few names from the, of stars from the Avalanche. I'm trying to explain who is who, and so we're, we get ready for the game, and, and it starts, and then something happened. The Avalanche scored, and like everyone else, we stand up and we cheer, yay! All of a sudden, the guy next to me gives me a huge hug. I mean, it probably was the beer that he was drinking. Yeah, because I think it was already his sixth. But still, like, he hugged me. He's high-fiving me. Like, suddenly, we're accepted. The people around us, behind us, they're like, yeah! And suddenly, we get included. We're accepted. And I'll be honest. I suddenly realized my fears were really silly. And it felt kind of good for one night to be accepted by these crazy hockey fans. Because deep inside... Each of us wants to be accepted. Like, e even the most introverted of us, we still want at least a small group of people to say, you're okay. You fit with us. You 
belong. And, and so we find ourselves like rallying around political candidates or, or you know, getting involved in like uh, becoming fans of a certain uh, band or, or uh, you know, we become part of this like movie cult, cult following group or, you know, we, we, we get involved in something and we start talking like them. We start dressing like them because we, we find ourselves get part of this culture and we're accepted. And oftentimes that happens in church too. So often we, we find ourselves gravitating into a church and, and we try to dress the part. And we try to say the right things. We want to worship like them so that they will accept us. And I want us as a church family to be like that. Yesterday we held Riverwood 101, our, our partnership class. And one of the questions we always ask is, so why did you choose to be a part of Riverwood? And one of the things that came out yesterday was, man, the church is so friendly. We just felt immediately welcomed. I loved that. You guys have a great reputation. I want us to keep doing it and more so. But I think sometimes the danger is that we come in and we try to find connection with these other people and we'll dress like them. We'll, we'll try and speak like them. We'll, we'll do things the way they're doing to fit in with the culture so that we're accepted. And what it makes us think is therefore because we're accepted by these people, we're also accepted by God. Now, don't mishear me. I believe God uses people to help draw our hearts to him. But just finding a connection with a group of people does not mean you're suddenly great with the divine. Today, what we're going to see is that God has created a way for us to wear the team colors, for us to be in fellowship with him. And we're going to see it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It isn't about what we can do in wearing the right things, saying the right things, doing the right things. Instead, we're going to see that really it's what God's already done and who God truly is that gives us fellowship with him and with one another. So let's pray. Father, as we get ready to begin this uh, new series in 1 John, I pray that just as you were teaching through John a group of people at a certain time, that you would take those same truths and you would penetrate our hearts and our minds right here in 2018. That you would accomplish what you need to. That, that I, I believe you are calling us to let the light and love of Christ shine through us to a very needy world. But for that to happen, today we need to see that it truly is all about your son. And that you are calling us through him to be in fellowship with you. And that then creates this opportunity for us to be in fellowship with one another. And so Lord, I pray that you would accomplish your will today that you would go beyond my words and you would bring your words to our hearts and our minds because these are your people. And so would you say what you want to to them today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so open up to the book of First John. My advice is because we will be in this book for several weeks, both here on Sunday mornings and in our growth groups, just put a bookmark in there and make it really easy to flip open to it. If you're not quite sure where 1 John is, feel free to use the little cheat sheet that is up there. As you're flipping to 1 John, uh, just a slight bit of background. This is written by, big surprise, the Apostle John, uh, as most biblical books are, named after their author. Uh, this is not the only thing that John wrote. Uh, we have the Gospel of John. We're actually going to go in and dip into that a little bit today. But he wrote this Gospel all about Jesus' life. 
But then as kind of this elder, this pastor, this leader among the church, he also wrote some letters. And we, we've got three of them. And they're just aptly named 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then many people believe he also wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, there's a few scholars that think it is a different John. But a lot of people think, no, I, I think it's the same guy. So John wrote at least four different parts of our, of our Bible, probably a fifth. But on this particular one, he does it a little differently. Uh, because it seems like a letter, he even says in here, as we'll see, that he's, he even says, I'm writing to you. But he doesn't start in a typical first century fashion. Normally, first century letters, they, they, they would start with who's writing it and then who it's to. So it's like, you know, this is from John to, you know, these believers in such and such place. He doesn't do that in this letter. It's almost like what, is, what he's writing about is just beating so hard in him. He can't help but just jump in. So let's do that. Let's just jump in. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." And uh, I, I've confessed this many times. I am not a Greek scholar. All right? I, I cannot open up a, a Greek Bible and begin to help translate it at, at all for you. I've, I've got to rely on other tools. Uh, one of the tools that I use almost every single week in my preparation is the uh, Lumino study environment. Uh, there's a, a Bible translation out there called the Net Bible. I really like the Net Bible. They have a lot of, of notes, uh, including some of the translators' notes. And so part of that, they created this Lumino study environment where their notes are available along with some commentaries and some, some language tools, including the Greek. And you can go in and, and hover over a word, and it'll say, hey, here's what this word is and what it means. So I, I, I really like it. And and one of the Net Bible notes about what we just read is that this is really one long run-on sentence. And I love what the Net Bible uh, translators put in their note. They said, yeah, this is awkward in, in uh, Greek, so it makes it almost impossible to render into English. I don't know why that made me laugh, but I, I, I don't know. I found it just kind of funny. Like, yeah, this is, this is really awkward in Greek. Uh, really, really difficult, which means... It's really hard for translators to, to write this in a way so that us English readers can really read it and, and grasp it. Uh, there's kind of two thoughts in uh, Bible translation, uh, two primary camps. One is what would be called a word-for-word -word camp. I just read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, we, we've got ESV Bibles back on our, our table, and they aim for a word-for-word -word translation. But what happens then with sections like this it can be kind of stilted, a little difficult to, to really grasp and, and get. And so then you're tempted to maybe go for the other camp, the thought for thought. It's where they try to understand what was the thought that the author was writing, and let's translate that thought. It's not so much a, the exact words, but let's really capture the meaning. And I think that's a really noble goal. But what can happen is, as you just go for the thought, 
How do we know exactly what the Holy Spirit was leading that person in, in their thinking, in the writing? That, that maybe you miss a little nuance. And, and so I, there's like pros and cons to both. So yeah, maybe a, a, like the New Living Translation, we also have those on the back table. More of a thought for thought. So it's a little more readable. But as I was comparing the two, I realized, oh, I, I can see where maybe the New Living doesn't quite capture what the ESV is trying to capture, even though the ESV is a little more stilted. And, and so today I, I thought, you know what, Let, let's just take a risk. Let's go with the more difficult to understand, but let's spend some time together kind of parsing it out, working through it phrase by phrase. And I think we'll start really seeing what John is pushing here. Uh, the, the Net Bible, they did one really interesting thing. And what I appreciate about them is they always put notes and they, they tell you what they've done. And what they did was they grabbed a phrase out of verse 3 and made that the beginning of verse 1. The phrase that they grabbed out of verse 3 is this one. Uh, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim the reason I think they grab that is because that is exactly what John is doing through verses 1 and 2. He is proclaiming something. He's, he's so excited about this. He doesn't even bother with the formalities of, hi, this is John. I'm writing to you. Listen up. He just jumps right in. It's like, I got to proclaim this to you. And so let's work through verses 1 and 2, and let's see what it is that John is proclaiming. The first phrase we see in verse 1 is this, that which was from the beginning— that which was from the beginning. I think John is fascinated with the idea of the beginning. Now, we don't know if he means like the beginning of, you know, his time, his era, or, or the beginning of, of all of time, the beginning of the universe. But he, he uh, we're going to see it in a little while in, in John chapter 1. He, he starts off his own gospel with in the beginning. He, he seems captured with this idea. And I think that's significant because what he's saying, that what I'm about to proclaim to you, it's not a current fad. It's not the latest worldview. It's not what our culture is just pushing to you. Like this has been around for a while and not just for like the past hundred years, 200 years. No, this is from the beginning. Like this has been around before any of us were even around. That's what I'm going to proclaim to you. It's from the beginning. But then he says something really interesting next. It's not only from the beginning. He says, which we have heard. It's something he has actually heard. Uh, my friend Phil and I get together every Wednesday morning for uh, tea, coffee. Uh, and it's mostly just for encouragement and accountability, uh, just kind of helping each other follow Jesus. And uh, we like some of the same things. And so it's very common for us to kind of recommend stuff to each other. In fact, this past Wednesday, uh, he had a couple of things like, oh, yeah, you, you want to know about that. So he just pulls out his phone and texts a, a link to me so I can know more about what we were just talking about and I can look at it more later. But then it ha happened in reverse. He, I, he, I knew he was facing something at work, so I was just asking him some questions and he started sharing some stuff and it was reminding me of a podcast I was just listening to. And so I couldn't help but say, hey, I just heard this podcast. You might find it helpful. So I was recommending it to him. So he pulls out his phone and makes sure that he has the episode so that he can go and listen to it as well. When you hear something great, whether it be a podcast or maybe a really good sermon or, or you know, like your, your favorite band puts out a, an album and like this one song is just rocking your world, you can't help but share it. That's what's happening with John. Whatever this thing is that was from the beginning, he's heard it. 
And he can't help but tell you. Like, I got to proclaim this to you. You won't believe what I heard. It's so good. But it isn't just something he heard. It's also something he's seen. Notice the next phrase. It says, which we have seen with our eyes. My parents uh, live in Pella, Iowa, and uh, they're semi-retired, and so they will occasionally take trips, and they decided to go see my daughter, their granddaughter, my daughter, Karis, and her husband, Phil, up in Spokane, Washington. So they drove all the way out there and kind of seeing the sights along the way, spent some time with them. We just talked with Karis a couple days ago. They had a, a wonderful time with her grandparents. And then my parents are right now making their way back to Pella. And the whole entire way, my dad has been texting or emailing pictures. And I, I've been loving it. It's like I've been making the trip with them via text message. And just, uh, what, Friday, I think it was, he sent me a picture of a Glacier National Park. I mean, isn't that gorgeous? Like, I found myself wanting to go and stand on that rocky beach, looking out of those mountains across the lake with him. My, my dad saw this and was like, I've, I've got to share this with Aaron and, and his brother. And so he's been sending us these pictures. When, when you see something wonderful, you can't help but, but share it. Whether it be a beautiful view or your wedding photos or pictures of your new child or a, a movie that you, you saw. When you see something wonderful, you, you want to share it. You want to proclaim it. And so the John just can't help himself. Like this thing, whatever it is from the beginning. Yeah, I, I've heard it. I didn't just hear it. I saw it with my eyes. And I got to tell you about it. But he, he continues to use his sen senses. It's not just his hearing and his sight. Notice the next phrase. He says, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. In other words, this is not just some philosophy from, from the, the ancient past, something that we heard. This isn't just like, you know, mountains across a lake or stars that we see through a telescope. No, like this is something that was right here in front of us. We actually could touch it. It had physicality. It was made of matter. We could touch it physically. So now I think John's readers by this point are thinking, what is he talking about? Like, how could you have something that was from the beginning? Like, it's so ancient. It's from the very beginning. You can hear it. You can see it. You can also touch it. What are you talking about, John? So he starts to give them some hints. Next phrase, he says, concerning the word of life. Now, some of us, I think we're going to stop and go, what? What, what, what does that mean? What's the word of life? Well, John tries to help them out. Verse 2 says, the life was made manifest. Uh, the Greek word that the ESV translates manifest, it means to reveal, to make visible, to make it known. I mean, in a sense, this is what John's trying to do. Like this thing that he's so excited about, he's trying to make it known to them. But he's also saying that this word of life, it was made manifest. It was made known. It was made visible. Now, some of you, you might be starting going, ah, I think I know what he's talking about. I, I think I figured it out. Like it's it, the first clue. It's from the beginning. It's something John heard. It's something he saw. It's something he could touch. And it has to do with the word of life. But just in case his readers totally don't get it yet, he, he keeps going. I want you to notice another phrase there in verse two. He says, which was with the father. So whatever this thing was, that from the beginning that they seen, heard, touched, it has to do with the word of life. And it was with the father. 
Now I know some of you are going, yes, I know what he's talking about. But just in case you don't, I wonder if John's readers would be familiar with his gospel. If they were, they're starting to figure it out. But if they're not, they may still be questioning. So what I want to do is I want to take you to his words in his gospel. So flip back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and like his letter, doing verses 1 through 4, we're also going to do chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 in John. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Now, you're going to notice a lot of the same language. All right, here's what he writes. In the beginning was the Word. All right, so this thing, now he's saying it's the Word. It's from the beginning. All right, so we're starting to catch on. And the Word was with God. Well, he just told us it was with the Father, so we're, we're catching on. And the Word was God. Now, wait a second. God is spirit. You you can't touch God. You can't see him. He's invisible. What does he mean? In the beginning was this word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then notice his very next word, he. So suddenly he goes from this thing, the word, this word of life, to he. He suddenly personifies it. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Remember that word of life? In him was life. He is the word of life. And the life was the light of men. And now I know that quite a few in this room are going, I get it. I see what he's saying, who he's talking about. But just in case you aren't sure, let me make it as plain as the glasses on my face. He's talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John's life was radically changed by this Jewish Messiah who not only came down to earth, who was from the beginning, but came into the present And he lived a very physical human life that John could hear his teaching. He could see the miracles that Jesus did. And he actually saw Jesus physically die on a cross and saw him physically rise from the dead. And he was someone that John could touch. He was real. And he changed John's life. And because John had met Jesus, because he'd seen him, because he'd heard him, he'd experienced life with him. He can't help himself. He has to proclaim him. But John has a purpose. He has a goal. It isn't that he's just excited about Jesus, which he is. He wants this excitement. He's causing him to proclaim Jesus to do something. And that we see in verse 3. We already saw the, the first phrase back in First John We already saw the first part. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Now, listen, here's his purpose. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I think John knows that we all long for connection. And he's saying, you want to be connected? You want to be connected with God? You want to be connected with others? It's found in Jesus. It is all about him. Now, John's words make me realize two things. Uh, Number one, this means that 
we are not connected. We're not in fellowship with everyone. Now, that, that might seem obvious by what he's written, but we, we live in a day and an age where there's kind of this popular idea, and, and there is some truth to it. Hear, hear me out. But because we are human, we're part of the human race. So we, in a sense, have fellowship with all humans. And, and there's truth to that. Every human born is born with the image of God in them. That, that image was distorted through sin, but it's still there. And so that means every single person matters. And so we are, in a sense, connected to all of these people, these humans. But what's happened is that this idea that, well, we're just part of the human race, we're part of the human collective, we're all together, leads to the idea that, therefore, all worldviews, all human endeavors, all religions are exactly the same. As long as you're not actually hurting anyone, it's all good. And that's the antithesis of the gospel. Because the gospel says that us humans, are, the image of God in us was broken. We need help. And as much as we try through religion to earn our way back to God, we can't do it. We need Jesus. But when you find Jesus, it brings you into this relationship with God. And everything about you changes. You go from being separated from God to now being fully connected. You go from being orphaned to now being his son or, his child, his, his son or daughter. You go from being dead in your sin to being alive in Christ. Everything changes from you on a spiritual level. And when that change happens, you've moved into kind of a new humanity. God is doing his work to change you so that you become fully human, which means you are no longer just completely connected with all humans. So yes, we're connected to humans because we are, we are human. But if your life is in Christ, you can't just say, ah, you know what? It's totally fine if you deny Jesus. We're all in this together. Because if that was true, John would not be writing this, and Jesus would not need to have gone to the cross. But the fact that Jesus went to the cross shows we all need help. Now, we're not better than those who, who don't have Christ. We just have moved into this different place of a different level of fellowship. But that's the second thing I want to point out, is that what John is saying is that if your life is in Christ— then you are to have fellowship with others whose life is in Christ. I spend a decent amount of time on Twitter. And there's really good things about Twitter and some really horrible things about Twitter. You see it all. And yeah, you can see the worst of humanity on Twitter. But sometimes the worst that I see actually comes from pastors. There are people who will be spending all their time drawing all these lines, trying to determine the box to know who's in and who's out. You, you can go online and you can find websites that spend nothing but all of their time and energy telling you which preachers are right, which ones are wrong. And usually their list is a, far, a lot bigger, far longer of who's wrong than who's right. And typically their list of who's right is really, really small. And everyone else, wrong. And yet John seems to be saying, if your life is in Christ and their life is in Christ, then you have fellowship with the Father and with one another. The, the, the Bible uh, authors continually keep teaching this idea that there is to be unity. Now, I am so thankful that I can teach this at Riverwood, and we are not dealing with divisions and factions. We're at a healthy place. 
And I am praying that that just continues. But I know how it will continue in Jesus. It's when we get caught up in other little doctrines and we start taking these things. They're important, but we start making them of ultimate importance. And now when those become ultimate importance, now we start seeing division. But if we will do what we can to continue to chase after Jesus, to keep the gospel the center of everything, that this is what it's all about, then yeah, we can have unity with some people that, yeah, you know what? I may differ with them on that doctrinally. I, you know, I, I, I may not dress exactly the same way. I, I may not be at that same income level. I may have a different skin color. I, I may have, you know, different educational level than them. But we're one in Jesus. I can have unity with them. And that will cause a world that is so used to rejecting people for whatever reason to stop and say, how, how can you do that? And we'll just simply say, it's all because of Jesus. John knows that what we need more than anything else is Christ. That that is what's going to bring unity. And so he's calling us to follow the one who is from the beginning. He wants us to see, to hear, to even touch Jesus. And while we may not be able to do it in a physical sense, we most definitely can do it in a spiritual sense. Because Jesus is real. And he told us before he ascended to heaven, he would be with us always. And so we can continue to learn from him, to see him, to experience him, and watch him work, not only in us, but through us and around us. But what's that look like in 2018? Um, just a couple of things. Number one, in order for you to experience this, you, you first have to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, I, I know a lot of you. You're my church family. And, and I've had the joy of getting to know your experiences. But I just got to say it. If you right now are not following Jesus, maybe it's because you've just been screwing up and making your life about you right now. Or maybe it's because you've never really taken that step and really truly put your faith in Christ. If you want to experience fellowship with God, if you want to experience fellowship with other people, true fellowship, not just like the bond that's over a sports team, then you got to follow Jesus and make it all about him. Now, it sounds easy, but it's hard. Because to truly make it all about Jesus means it can't be all about you. And that means you may have to give up some things, things you like, things that often are good. But for you, they become ultimate things. And John would try and say, no, 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 no. Don't go after this little fad. Don't, don't go after this thing that's just from 2018. Don't go after this thing that's temporary. Go for the thing that's from the beginning. Don't just go for the things that you heard on the radio lately. Go for that which is timeless. Don't, don't, don't just follow after the thing that you, your friends showed you and, and you saw and you thought was cool and that's what you're going to make your life about. No, go for that which has lasted far longer than any of us have been around and will be here far after us, after we're gone. Would you make your life about Jesus? Would you seek after him? Put him first in your life. Because then when you do, you're going to get to experience fellowship with others. There's a joy that comes in unity. In fact, John even says it. If you look at verse 4, 
He says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, in, in my uh, Bible, there's a little number one by the word our. So I go down to the note at the bottom, and it says, some manuscripts, your. So we could debate. Is he saying, well, your joy will be complete, or our joy will be complete? And my response is, I, th- I think it's both. Because John experienced Jesus lived with him for three years, saw the miracles they did, heard his teaching, saw him die on the cross, saw him rise again from the dead. Now John's life has absolutely changed, and he has found joy in it. Did it mean John's life became easy? No. There was persecution. I mean, if John really is the one who wrote the book of Revelation, that means he got sent off to Patmos to be in exile, to be alone. He was, in a sense, put in prison. And yet he had joy in knowing Jesus. And he wants his readers to experience that joy. His life's been changed, so he wants them to get it. So he's got to proclaim it because he knows that if you find fellowship with God through Christ, you will have joy, not release, not escape from all the pain, but joy. But I also get it when he says, so that our joy may be complete. As an elder, as a pastor, he's, he's writing to these people. And as a pastor myself, I, I get it. I find a lot of joy in my family. I, I, I love my kids, love my wife. I, like there, there's joy there. I, I can also find some joy and happiness in, in just enjoying like a baseball game or, or watching a, a, a great work of art, whether it be a film or, or hearing music. There, there can be joy in those things. But as a pastor, the thing that really touches me deeply is when I see you chasing after Jesus. When I see you stumble and you fall towards grace, when, when I discover that you're, you're learning, you're, you're getting into the word, you're getting into a growth group, you're, you're, you're doing these things, and God is at work, I find joy. Yesterday during our Riverwood 101, just as we were closing in prayer, I just had this moment where I was just overcome. Because I realized like this whole thing started with just me and my family, and now look what God is doing. It's moving so far beyond us because this mission is so wonderful and it's so big because it's all about Jesus. And there was just this moment, pure joy. So if you want to make me happy, like if you're like, hey, I'd really love to honor my pastor. I'd love to do something for him. Chase after Jesus. I would have no greater joy than watching God work deeply in you and deeply through you. And yeah, We'll all make mistakes. And when you screw up, fall towards Christ. Fall towards his grace. Chase after Jesus. And as you do, I think you bring joy to me, but you'll also experience that joy yourself. Because you'll be overwhelmed at God's grace for you. You will find forgiveness. You will find restoration. You will find replenishment. So I want you to make it all about Jesus. I want you to put him first because I know that's what's going to give you fellowship with God. And that is ultimately what's going to make you accepted. Not just with other people, but with your creator. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now you would help each of us to put Jesus first. That because of of Christ and the gospel, you would 
you'd fundamentally change how we think. You change the way we speak. You change the way we act. God, would you help us to make our schedules reflect the centrality of Christ? Would you help us to uh, make the, the, the foods that we eat reflect the centrality of Christ in our lives? May you help us to make our relationships reflect the centrality of Christ. God, I don't want to be a person who just follows the whims of culture, who, who chases after fads that come and go. I want to follow after the one who was from the beginning and the one who is to come. So God, would you help us to make Christ the center of everything? The center of our marriages, the center of our parenting, the center of our friendships at school or at work or in the neighborhood. May you just create this hunger within us. And God, I also just pray for Riverwood. I just pray that you would protect this church family. I believe you have some wonderful things in store for us. And so I know that our enemy would love to steal, kill, and destroy what you've started here. And so that's why I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings unity among us. And that we would find ourselves being centered on the gospel. And as we chase after Jesus, we've experienced that fellowship with you and with one another. God, would you also make us the place that our arms are wide to welcome others. There are still some people out there that they do not know the centrality of Christ. And you're calling us to be the ones to proclaim him who was from the beginning, the one that we have spiritually heard, the one we have spiritually seen, the one we have spiritually touched, the one that we have experienced. God, I pray right now for the person that feels like they are not experiencing you. I pray that you would touch them in such a way that they would realize that you are God and you are good. And God, I pray that this would move beyond just feelings, that this would move into the reality of truth. And they would just know you are real, you are with them. So God, help us, empower us to make our lives all about your son who died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.